welcome to First Fruits Podcast, made by and for Indigenous people and our allies who are ready for a new day for old ways. Greetings and a warm handshake to each one of you. My name is Kristenia Ayala. I'm a Sijahangu Lakota woman from the Rosebud Reservation in South Dakota. My name is Nigawis Opom from Sweetgrass First Nation. This program is graciously made possible by Her Many Voices Foundation, Grinding Stone Collective, and Ibex Puppetry. Hi, everybody. Today, our guest is Banashi Kadro. He is from the Sault Ste. Marie tribe of Chippewa Indians, and he's going to be talking to us today about decolonizing your diet. Hi, Joe. Ah, boozoo, boozoo. Nadizhni Kash Banashi, Wababiji Dodam. Gunjaba Badawing, Gunjaba Washington, Gunjaba Colorado Springs, Sault Ste. Marie Tribe of Chippewa Indians. Uh, so what I said was my name. My name is Banishi. It means all of the birds in Ojibwe, in Anishinaabe Moen. And my clan, Wabaviji, is Martin clan uh, or the warrior clan, one of those seven originals. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for being with us, Joe. It's really good to see you again. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> so you're gonna you're gonna speak to us today about decolonizing the diet. Is that what yeah. you said? Yeah. Yeah. Did you uh, just want me to go into uh, how I got into it, or what I it would entails? love that. Yeah, I would like it if you would do that. Okay, so um, about six years ago now. Uh, a young Anishinaabe, uh, uh, Nini, uh, Anishinaabe man, uh, brought this term decolonization to a um, talking circle that I was a part of. And I had never really like heard the term before. Uh, it kind of intrigued me, eh, some of the things he was talking about. And um, to this day, I think that... <laughs> That guy probably regrets getting me onto this path uh, because I took that and I ran with it. Eh? Uh, and the first thing about decolonization is understanding that uh, we have the self right to um, determine our own minds, right? That own self personal sovereignty. Um, it, often that's followed by what we eat or what we ingest uh, into our bodies, right? Mm -hmm. uh, especially when we think about our lives um, operating within that medicine wheel and those four elements that uh, create that, that, that mashiki wheel, right? Yeah. So it's important that when we understand that um, we're going to decolonize our mind, that we follow that with decolonizing our food and that starts with our food sovereignty. Um, and so like, what does that mean uh, in terms of, uh, decolonization and being a modern or urban or uh, reserve or reservation uh, indigenous person today in the world we live in, right? Because we mm -hmm. often are forced to walk in this duality uh, as Anishinaab or indigenous people, right? We have our, our cultural uh, community and then we have dominant society that we also have to operate in. And sometimes living in both of those things is a balance uh, and that can be a challenge. So during my journey onto decolonization, um, <clears throat> I learned that our people, uh, Ojibwe people, uh, were traditionally more vegetarian and vegan uh, than what people like to think that we are because of the terms like hunter-gatherer, colonized terms that they use to describe us, right? A lot of our people uh, ate berries and nuts and plants and squashes, like the three sisters garden idea, right? Uh, all, that's what we ate and we migrated, uh, not, you know, the Ojibwe people, we come from the Nova Scotia area and we followed those glaciers all the way down here uh, on our side of this colonized border uh, into Michigan, Wisconsin and Minnesota, et cetera, right? So uh, during that time, anybody that lives in these areas, you know, and I know that the growing season up uh, maybe in Ontario is a month shorter than what we have, say, in southwest Michigan. Huh? 
Uh, and because of that reason, our people would migrate because we would constantly be gathering different foods. Eh? Uh, and meat was just used mainly through the winter to get us through because uh, there's plenty of stories. Uh, if you ever have a chance to talk with an elder or a pipe carrier or a storyteller, there's plenty of stories that talk about um, uh, that we were that way and we only harvested that meat in the winter to get us through because when people and come, hey, that winter, uh, those berries and those, those figs and all those other things that we ate uh, weren't growing. There was no way to sustain us through those cold months. Mm. Um, and that's when we would harvest the meat. Um, but other than that, uh, we used to make dough out of acorn, right? Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> people yeah. forget that. Uh, and there's a book called um, uh, Indigenous People's History of the United States by uh, Dunbar Ortiz, Roxanne mm -hmm. Dunbar Ortiz. And she does a really great job uh, in chapter one of that book uh, explaining how corn uh, uh, was a, sub, uh, a, a, a central figure in our diet uh, and how when the colonizers came, uh, it was them that was trying to uh, exploit um, our farming and growing of this, of this, uh, this corn. Uh, and she does that to explain how history and how colonization happened. And it started with our food. Um, and so that's important. And when I heard that Mary... Uh, had, had started this podcast and we have a couple Indian countries really small. Uh, yeah. I heard a couple of your guests um, and I thought, man, what a great thing uh, to promote for our people uh, because there's intersectionality uh, in all of this, right? Uh, especially when we're talking about we want to return to the old ways and be traditional uh, and recognize those, those things our ancestors did for us. Um, and we bring in that medicine medicine wheel, we understand those four elements and um, the, the intersectionality and all those things is real. Uh, and, you know, we're all a piece of a puzzle. Um, and uh, I may know some food and some medicines and, and, and whatnot, but uh, my God, I'm not a chef, right? So uh -huh. um, it's important that we share all the information that we get because that's what we're taught to do, right? We're not tired taught to uh, harvest all these things for ourselves. I noticed that, that you're a lot more willing to share your knowledge than a lot of other people. I've, I've seen you um, sharing information even about, uh, oh, I can't remember what it was, but I've seen you quite a few times sharing what you know with people. So um, <clears throat> that's because I don't believe that cultural gatekeepers have a place in our culture, eh? Um, traditionally we, uh, we've been oppressed for a long time. And one thing I've learned, uh, growing up is that sometimes, uh, nobody does lateral oppression better than us. Mm -hmm. uh, and what I mean by that is that we oppress our own people for the, uh, most absurd and redundant things that most of us could even think of. Um, I was taught as a youth, uh, so I grew up, um, on a reservation in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. Uh, I grew up traditionally. I was also a ward of our tribe and the state. So I grew up in a group home on the tribe. Uh, and uh, I was taught and, and, and learned that uh, we're to share those things because we never know when we may walk on. Huh? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's important that those things live on. Uh, and we've seen that through assimilation uh, not just in the United States of America, but also in Canada and our brothers and sisters down in South and uh, Central America as well. Eh? Uh, we have seen, uh, we're walking proof um, that things weren't allowed to be practiced or said until after 1978 here in the United mm -hmm. States. Mm -hmm. That's when we were really free. Uh, and people have a hard time grasping that. I always tell people, uh, if you uh, were born prior to um, 1970s, uh, you had grandparents that hunted Indians, right? Um, and that's a fact. Yeah. Uh, so uh, once we acknowledge that, then we can heal from those things. But we're not even, and I'm kind of ranting a little bit, but uh, we're not even to that part yet. But back to the gatekeeper thing is, um, I'm going to go back to my puzzle analogy. 
uh, I think of us as Anishinaab or indigenous people as one big, glorious, beautiful picture. And we're a puzzle. And every piece of that puzzle is just as important as the piece in the middle, the corner pieces, or that last piece that we put in to make that picture complete. So somebody may be a beater, somebody may be a storyteller, somebody may be a chef, somebody may be do like what you marry, uh, making all them, uh, that medicine of them soaps and things, eh, for your family Mm -hmm. and your friends. Um, Mm -hmm. Somebody can't be great and do all of that stuff though, right? Uh, We all are a piece of that. So I am very adamant about uh, sharing the things that I know or the things that I learn with others um, and because I know that that's the only way our culture is going to survive another 500 years. Mm-hmm. Well, could I just interject something that's just sort of totally off of where we are right now? <laughs> because I meant to say this uh, during the first interview, and that is, so you guys are the ones who started the, the rumor about us coming across the, the Bering Strait. They said there was a bridge between the two continents. <coughs> I was, no, I, was I debunked you, that but, theory. Yeah. Yeah. There's only five nations that came from that. Uh, and they also came, did a, there's, came from the land bridge. There's proof that our people were here 25,000 years ago now. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, and so they did a study also on the Great Lakes. And if you drained them, there's a land bridge in Alpena that sits right underneath the water there. Whoa. Uh, so that would explain how we had come across from Canada hey? and the yeah. lower parts of Windsor and, and all that area. So, um, it's a land bridge under what lake? Pina? In Alpena, Michigan. Alpena. So, if this, uh, let's see, right? Michigan and Alpena would be uh, up in this area. Okay. I'll look for that. I'm going to Google it, Joe. Yeah. And there, you know, that they continually find archaeological finds that kind of prove things that our ancestors had said, right, that nobody believed. Yeah. That we were here long before that people want to think we were. Yeah. 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 New, new, um, new evidence is being uncovered all the time, you know, to back up what we say, you know, because after all, we're just merciless savages. So they're never going to take our word for anything. Right. Right. Yeah. So, but. I don't know if this is the appropriate time, but you were talking about the harsh winters and, and how, um, uh, you know, that the summer foods dry up and then the winter comes. And so you, that's when you harvest your, your meat store for the winter. Yeah. But, uh, um, and you said that you were interested in, in uh, expanding uh, on that. And I, I don't know if we talked about it, but did I mention the Wallapini and the high wind tunnels to you, which are excellent, excellent um, uh, buildings or facilities to have on, on any permaculture site or, or organic gardening site. And um, I would strongly suggest that you look up the Wallapini, W-A-L-A-P-I-N-I. And that was... Um, where I first heard about it, I was, uh, I don't know what side I was on, but I heard about it from, and it came from uh, New Zealand. And it's an underground greenhouse. And, and you could, you could actually go and, and Google it and probably, uh, you know, ask for images of it and see what it looks like. Um, The project that I'm working on in South Dakota right now, they just built a second one. And the first one is really big. And they're trying to uh, make the original Wallapini uh, a part of a, their uh, aquaponics site or aquaponics build, I guess. So I think that'll be really cool. Then there's a root cellar and then the high wind tunnels. They look like that. They just look like big tunnels. And both of those things, especially the high wind tunnels, will help you um, um, grow your grow, grow your uh, vegetables uh, later later through in the season. Um, so those are things that could help you immensely. So you, yeah, start doing research on that. The Wallapini, yeah, so we have a root cellar too. My hope is, um, so we have 13 federally recognized uh, nations here in Michigami 
and two that are state recognized. Yeah. And each one's a sovereign nation with their own cultural department. Mm -hmm. And what I'm hoping is, is that um, some of these cultural departments, I know that um, some of them have, and I know that we have uh, groups that go out and are reintroducing uh, manumen or wild rice back to our riverbeds. Uh -huh. And we actually have some Anishinaab people that go up there and uh, harvest that for us every year in the community, right? And I know Juanona Leduc is doing it over in uh, Minnesota. Um, and I know they're doing it throughout Wisconsin as well. So those things are going to come back. Uh, but it's also important. Um, so Anishinaabek, uh fish was also a primary thing in our diet throughout winter, right? So the salmon would run and then uh, the winter would allow us to freeze those salmon, right? Because... Man, could you imagine eating 280 salmon uh, in a day, right? It's impossible. Um, so, you know, ice fishing and those things all come about too, right? But I know that like in areas of Detroit that we have um, nonprofits like the American Indian Services and all them that are literally trying to build these things in urban areas for our people right. to help fill those gaps that some of these tribes uh, do miss right because what happens is is they get to set the requirements for their membership right um, and some people don't have uh, paperwork or whatever is required for them to be able to enroll uh, in this nation so then they're isolated because they don't have one of their cards they may not be able to participate in a certain program and it's not just cultural things but it's all things within right like health services all these things uh -huh. But diabetes runs so high uh, in our culture that they have done studies now where those that have switched to a vegan diet or a plant-based diet no longer have to take insulin. Mm -hmm. So these are things that we, uh, and, that, and that's why I support your show so much, is things like those of us that are out here in the communities that are trying to fill the gaps left by these nations, yeah. that we're sharing this information with those that listen to us those that look up to us uh if you would have told me um you know i just told my mom this the other day uh if you would have told me when i was eight years old that today my words would carry so much weight or that people would um listen or whatever to what i say i would have called you a fool mm. um, but we all do right that's why we do the things that we do that's why we care about people and we reach out to each other that and we network yeah so it's important that we share that knowledge with those people. And this also goes back to your last question when you asked me about, um, or Mary did, that I share so much. Oh, yeah. Um, if we can get our people off of medicine, hey, that white man medicine, that colonized medicine, and we can start giving them that good medicine for their old day, their hearts and their health, why wouldn't we want to do that? You know, mm -hmm. uh, strawberries have medicinal purposes that people don't even know about, right? Like, um, why don't more people should know that, right? Like, uh, so I have four little nieces and nephews that I make them eat the, uh, the green on the strawberry because really? that's the, the medicine. The yeah. Leaf? That's the medicine. Yeah. The oh. root, that little part you snip off of the, you know, when it grows onto that vine, eh? and yeah. you got that little green left on the top. So a pipe carrier told me that, uh, the strawberry is the shape of our O'Day, that heart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And those little seeds in that strawberry and that green is the medicine, literally medicine for our hearts. Oh. So whenever we go to a feast or a ghost supper or pipe ceremony or sweat or whatever, yeah. uh, I make the kids eat that green of that strawberry, right? And I watch them and it's funny, uh, but I tell them that's all the medicine. And it's funny because I have one of them that does speeches with me in presentations in communities and at schools, and she'll tell kids now, when she <laughs> eats the strawberry, she eats the green, and this is why. So these are just little things, right, that we could do to help our people. Uh, but the big thing is the diabetes thing. And um, I know that most people think that we're big, hearty meat eaters, um, you know, but we're really not. We weren't traditionally. Um, it's just the same with milk and dairy. Like 83% of Indigenous people are lactose intolerant. Mm -hmm. um, and that's another thing that... Uh, tribal nations and their health departments should be pushing to our people, right? And and, and people like us that are, are trying to help our people also uh -huh. should be pushing and letting people know that because it it literally changes our bodies. Um, 
So that's why I was so happy when I saw that Mary was doing this kind of show and that you guys were really going to um, take this this on and, and try to educate some people. And I, I support it so much. And thank you guys for your work. Oh, and thank you. Do, I have a question, Joe. Do you live on or off your reservation? So I live off my reservation now. I live in Grand Rapids, which is uh, in the lower peninsula, southwest part of Michigan. Uh-huh. I'm like two hours from Chicago. You are? Oh, I just came back from Chicago. I may be going back out there for a few days uh, on on the 10th. Um, okay. Because new, new family that my son-in-law wants to meet is going to be there. And of course, I want to be a part of that. You know, I want right. to see the joy. But... The reason I was asking is because um, do, do you have access to land on your reservation? Or if you did one of these wallapinis and such, do you have access to a place to do something like that? Yeah, so <clears throat> the way they set up uh, tribal services is a little weird. Um, and I'm sure that those of you in Canada can relate. Uh, so we have these things called service areas. Uh, and I live outside of my service area because if this was Michigan, my reservation is all the way at the very tip of uh, the eastern UP. Oh. And oh. Then I'm all the way down here on the southwest side. Eh? Mm. Um, however, uh, so again, that word community, I keep reiterating. Um, throughout my uh, eight or nine years that I've been in Grand Rapids and, and doing this kind of work, I've been able to um, network and, and meet all kinds of people. And uh, we do have a property that has over 12 acres of, of land. Uh, so uh, we grow tobacco out there every year, for instance, and uh, we donate most of it to the community, right? Because right. Um, that's what we're supposed to do. So uh-huh. we did a little bit of strawberries. This year was a really hard year to grow things. And I don't know if it was because of the COVID. I don't know what it was. My tobacco didn't take off. My strawberries barely, you know, it was just a hard year. Uh, but we do have resources and property to to do these things. Um, it's uh, the COVID has kind of changed things the way that we kind of act as a group in a community right now. Right. Um, and uh, I'm hoping that someday soon, when we all return to normal, that uh, we're able to do these things not just on private property, right, but that we're allowed and somehow are able to come up with funds to acquire property property in like uh, downtown Grand Rapids. Or like Uh they're doing in Detroit, right? Downtown Detroit, they're doing these things. Oh, nice. So that we can, um, and help not just Native people, right? But those people that need, in need, right? Uh, A lot of homeless people are are veterans and and Natives, um, especially here on this side of the border. So Uh uh, that'd be great. That'd be great. But yeah, we do have, we have some property available. We have two places, one in Howard City and one actually in Port Huron. Uh, and a guy has already reached out to me about doing that this year out at that property. Really? Well, the reason I was asking is because um, I don't know if you would be interested in doing some kind of a demonstration project, but if you are, I would be happy to collaborate with you in some way. I'm a partner with um, the domestic branch of Engineers Without Borders. I work with uh, the Colorado engineering corps and um you know if if you talk to people tell them about the wallapini tell them about the high wind tunnels that will give you a a longer growing season and and that uh, uh, if you have a root cellar women can come and they can can all that stuff so you can have access to vegetables dried or whatever canned uh, all year through um and, you know, I, what we do uh, on my current project is we repurpose as much as we can. The Wallapini, uh, Brian dug, you know, the foundation. And then it's almost like, um, it's almost like, a, of course, I'm not going to be able to remember the name of it. But he uses <laughs> tires for the foundation. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. But there's a, anyway. Um, so it, that's what he did. He used tires for the foundation. And, you know, I know there's a lot of tire, must be a lot of tire companies in the Michigan area or, you know, wherever you are, you can just go there and ask, you know, tell them if you have a lot of tires, you know, come dump them at our place and then repurpose them. And, and, you know, you could even probably find out how to, how to do that, you know? Um, So 
I mean, there are a Sounds lot. Sounds like of I'm going to send you a message one of these days after the show. Well, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, do it because I think um, uh, I think you might know him, my mutual friend. I think you might know him, the guy I'm talking about. But oh, really? Okay, I'm yeah. going to. I'll go ahead and put my email address and and phone number in chat for you. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm looking at your wallapini. Would that work in Canada? Yes. Yes, it mm. would, honey. That's interesting. Uh-huh. Because I want to I want to work with you too, Mary. Mm -hmm. Huh. So um <clears throat> one of the topics we talk about on the show, Joe, is land back. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> um <clears throat> I'm a big supporter of that. Um, but I also think that uh, we need to do it within the language of the treaties. Um, oh, because uh, those treaties say every Indian, right? They don't say um, every member of the Sault Ste. Marie tribe of Chippewa Indians. They don't say every member of the Odawa or every member of whatever Votawatomi nation we want to throw out there, or Cherokee or, or whatever, right? They say every Indian. And what happens is because of the quantum game and colonization, uh, our culture is getting whitewashed. So less people are, are able to make these claims, right? And descendancy often is not even recognized. So <clears throat> when we want this land back, what is it that we mean? Uh, and I like to compare this sometimes to the defund the police movement. Is that what we mean? Absolutely. Is it the proper term? No, we should probably come up with a different reappropriating funds or something, right? Something more digestive, more uh, easygoing that we can say in a public instead of just defund, right? But that's what we mean. So when we say land back, um, are we willing to go out here and willing to stand and stop for the, uh, the continued uh, exploitation of our natural resources on our indigenous lands, mm -hmm. such as pipelines, copper mines, diamond mines, coal, things like that, eh? or gold, right? Like what happened to those Lakota people in the Black Hills? Are we willing to stop and stand and say no more of that and then reclaim our land? Or are we just talking about give me my 40 acres and two mules uh, and live off of the way that the Dawes Act in, intended for us to live. Mm -hmm. um, we are a communal people. Uh, that's in our DNA, that's in our, our temperament, that's in our personalities, each and every one of us, all of us that are indigenous, we all have that one thing in common, eh? Uh, if we see somebody, one of our relatives down, uh, it pulls a little part on our heart. Uh, and that's because we're communal, right? We don't believe in that capitalistic um, thought that well, you if you just families. pick yourself up, yeah, you pull yourself up by your bull's bootstrap and, and just worry about you. That's, that's not how we did it. Mm -hmm. um, so when we talk about land back, is that what we're talking about? Are we talking about being more communal, more transparent, um, more welcoming, um, more loving? Uh, how about that? And how about creating safe spaces for people without weaponizing them um, and meeting people where they're at? So when we say land back, uh, again, it, it's a very vague thing, but yeah, I support it. Um, I have a bad experience with an org uh, that loves to use that motto um, to justify some of their exploitation of our people and wow. our culture. Um, but uh, I do understand the basic concept of it and I support that. Uh, I just think that when we blindly do it or people don't really understand it, uh, that if we are going to make claim to it, that we use treaty language so that all of us that are indigenous um, have access to those things our ancestors fought for in those treaties. Mm -hmm. That answer your question, Mary? Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely think it's going to mean like different things to different people. I've even heard some people talk about a taxation system where just a certain percentage of everybody's taxes goes directly to the first people. So definitely means different things to different people. Well, I like that concept. Mm -hmm. 
And we also have to understand that um, prior to colonization, so in North America, uh, there were over 560 nations. So how many more were there in South America and Central America too, right? Yeah. Um, and then each one has their sovereignty and their history and their stories. And if we start to say that, oh, well, my people's is more important. Well, now we've made it the oppression Olympics or we're gaslighting each other. We're not really, we're playing the colonizer game, right? Um, yeah. And that's that's my fear of it. So uh, I, I think that we have to start by understanding that all these nations did exist. Uh, they are all sustainable. They all self-governed. And uh, they all have a history and we all need to honor and respect that, especially when we talk about land back and land acknowledgements, right? Yeah. So. I was amazed that because uh, from what I understand, the Rosebud tribe, which is my home reservation, uh, uh, just received back over about 530 acres of property of land back. And so I thought, whoa, that's really cool. Maybe it's time to move home. <laughs> and then they did the same thing in um, California around the Big Sur area. And then where was the other place? There was another place. Uh, they got a lot more acreage, but um, but gosh, yeah. I mean, so it's it's beginning to happen. It's, it's kind of like it's time. Yeah, yeah I think so, the time is um, I think the Seminole Nation is the only nation that never formally signed a treaty uh, for any of their land. And they get paid. Eh? They get paid every time Florida State does something, uh, every time that uh, that image is used or sold, they get paid. Really? Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah, they make bank off of that. Mm -hmm. um, and they have input on how that is done, eh? that pregame thing. So these yeah. people have power down there. Uh, but it's important. So the other thing I think that people forget when we talk about land back, there was an actual nation here uh, that lost land in Louisiana uh, wow. due to global warming. Uh, they were actually the first refugees of climate change. Um, they were relocated from their ancestral lands in Louisiana. Uh, but did they gain land or did they lose land, right? When we talk about comparison, like number of acreage or whatever, right? Uh, that is a big issue um, and that's something you know that goes back to what your guys' shows about and the food is uh, when we do these uh, plant-based diets it's helping address that climate change issue right those rising water issues um, yeah I always tell people uh, I'm vegan three days a week uh, one because I grew up eating McDonald's, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't. Uh, and because of that, certain textures and things that I put it in my mouth subconsciously, I just can't. It's like, whoa, right? Uh, so three days a week. However, if everybody in the United States or even everybody in Canada too, Diva even did it one day a week, uh, the changes that we would see not only in our land and pollution would be astronomical. Uh, but the things in our health uh, would be beneficial as well. Yeah. Um, so it's crazy when we think about that. Uh, but yeah, it's cool to see these these nations get some of their land back. But at what cost are they getting it back at? And often when we get these lands back, um, and I'm sure that those of you in, in the homeland up there in Canada can attest to this. Uh, when we the government gives us land, it's usually a recycled landfill or it's been uh, extracted yeah. of all the resources and nothing will grow. Uh, so then we have to become scientists and figure out how it is that we can make something grow to feed our people. Um, so if it's good land, great. If it's um, dead land or a byproduct, you know, you have to kind of question that. Is that a win or not? Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, those, those uh, Black Hills were the Lakota's peoples for a long time. That was a ceremonial ground they knew that gold was up there uh, they wanted nothing to do with it but gold is useless to us mm -hmm. um and uh you know look what happened uh it's crazy um 
you know, so when we talk about land back and, and, and people getting awarded back these lands, we have to make sure it's a sustainable land, I think, uh, in order to declare it a victory. Well, you know, if you found a place, and, and this includes you, Mary, um, that, and I was thinking about your father's land, Mary, that you might be think th that you might think about doing a demonstration uh, site on um, is that um, and I'm and I'm I've already I've submitted four more applications for other for other indigenous people that we've had on the show and um, anyway the first thing that they do is you submit the application and they they've streamlined it now you can fill out the application online and that process is uh, really much shorter. So if they approve your application and it has to be a community project, um, then they, the first, one of the first things they do is they put a team together in whatever state you're in. They will put a team together in your state or in Canada. Um, and then they send, then they send um, engineers out to, to um, what is it? Oh, survey the land. Um, and surveying the land is such an incredible thing. I had some, some of my land surveyed and they have all these little blue lines and it shows you the, the gradient or you know, how the land goes down and different things like that. They tell you where the best place to uh, position buildings would be. They also test the water, they test the soil um, and, and, and then they can give you the answers that, that you're looking for. And then, uh, you know, and then we can, we can work together to find really good permaculturists, you know, through the per different permaculture guilds who can go there and, and depending on the condition of the land, you can also, um, they do a lot of soil rebuilding, you know, removal of soil and soil rebuilding. Then we have a gentleman here in Fort Collins, he's called the worm man. And he can tell you the best kind of worms to, to grow in, in, to put in that land because they, they'll clean that land up. Did you know that? Isn't that amazing? They have worms that can eat, you know, that, that are around the Black Hills and mushrooms. Mycology is, they're, they're miraculous. The things that I've been finding out at my age, I just love it. Uh, yeah, so there are all kinds of exciting things that can be done to help mitigate uh, land that may appear to be worthless. But once, but once you, 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 um, they get there, they can probably even help you um, understand what would need to be done to rebuild the soil. So I'm done. Oh. I get so excited when I talk about it. I never knew there were so many different types of worms. <laughs> oh, there are. Yeah, you know those earthworms that you use to take fishing? There's those. Then there's little red worms and uh and then there's little brown worms but some of the and and he john is a strong proponent of no-till soil because if you put worms in like if you ordered worms now and put them in the soil within a year the soil will be in a lot better shape because the the earthworms when they tunnel they tunnel down into the earth and then the, the little red worms they tunnel horizontally and different types of worms, they go different ways. And, and then, you know, and of course, then they're busy um, dropping poo-poo. Oh. <laughs> and, and that really fertilizes your soil, but it also tills it so you don't have to, you know, use machinery on it. So there's a lot of ways that you can do these things um, at a minimum of expense, but, you know, people in the permaculture, field are so willing to come out and help and help fundraise, you know, to get to get the projects off off the ground. But yeah, they're called demonstration projects. That's what we've nice. been calling them. Because it'll be a demonstration. Yeah, it's exciting. So what are one of your favorite recipes, your vegan recipes, Joe? Uh, <clears throat> so uh, I'd like to take my Newman and blueberries with brown sugar and cinnamon and maple syrup. Oh, um, 
it's been really good after uh, after a sweat um, mm -hmm. or a ceremony. You need that energy back, eh? Yeah. Uh, and it's sometimes it's a good breakfast. Uh, why don't you let your kids go outside and play afterwards? Yeah. <laughs> what is it? Rice, blueberry. What else? Cinnamon sugar. Uh, brown sugar, cinnamon, and maple syrup. Okay. I'm gonna try that. I've been going crazy with my air fryer and cauliflower. <laughs> cauliflower is so amazing. I try to go vegan maybe two or three three days out of a month. It's really hard for me. So one of the really hard. dish dishes that I make um, the, on my vegan days is uh, I like white rice too, eh, or brown rice, or you can use manuman. Uh, and I like bell peppers and onions. So what is that slices. Manuman? Yeah, manuman? it's uh, wild rice. Oh. Uh -huh. Manuman's I don't know just, if I'd uh, be able to get that out here. But uh, I think a lot manuman. of health food stores oh. sell that. Yep, I'll it's a little expensive. A yeah. If you want, uh, Mary, um, next time I go out to the tribe, I'll grab you a bag and send you Yeah, please. Please yep. do. I haven't so, been eating uh, a lot of rice lately. Yeah, well, you can do it, like I said, you can do it with any of the rices or even potatoes, too. Uh, slice up those peppers and onions uh, and a little bit of uh, salt and pepper, hey? Eh? Uh, and that's a meal. Mm. Um, so this notion that protein had to be the focus point of our meals, um, that's colonization. It, it wasn't that way. Our focus point used to be the vegetables uh, and the meat or whatever, the protein um, was just the side dish. It wasn't the main dish. Um, mm -hmm. And so sometimes when I make my dishes on my vegan days, uh, I try to remember that, right? Uh, and there's a lot, plenty of things you can get protein from, whether it's nuts, walnuts. Uh, there's yeah. different recipes online. You can make a, a ground beef like thing out of nuts um, and you can put taco seasoning in it. And it tastes just like, just like Taco Bell's uh, oh sandpaper gosh, meat I'm, that you I'm get. So in, I'm so in love with bean burgers right now. Yeah, see? Bean burgers? Kidney bean burgers, black bean burgers, they're all good. How do you and make a bean burger? Like What's that? How do you make a bean burger? It's just basically like kidney beans, um, something to keep it together. Like if you're going really gluten-free, you could use nutritional yeast. Or oh. you can just use the same way you make a hamburger patty, all the same seasonings. And it tastes exactly like a burger. I okay, can't so tell the difference. Which, which bean do you use or is your favorite? Um, red kidney beans. Oh, red kidney beans. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they're oh, so, that sounds wonderful. so healthy for you. Yeah. And so another dish I make, Mary, you just reminded me is, uh, so uh, when I grew up, we used to get these things called commods on the res, eh? Commodities. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, right. I sure do. <laughs> so we used to get this big bag of uh, those navy beans. Remember those? Yeah. Or white beans white, sometimes they yeah. put in there too, eh? So you put them in your crock pot all day, eh? And you let them cook all nice and slow. And what I do is I'll fry potatoes. Huh. And I'll slice up that fried potato. And then I'll take those beans and I'll put it over the top of my beans or my potatoes, eh? And that's another meal. Mm, nice. um and it's totally vegan right there's no meat in it there's... they're so cheap to buy like i yes. could buy a bag of beans for like four dollars you uh -huh. know and it's so delicious i yep. like white beans too <laughs> yep. you know have you guys have you guys heard of the anasazi beans right now i i looked i searched high and low for them in chicago and i couldn't find them anywhere there but they, they have a, a place here in, in um, near Boulder, I think, that produces the Anasazi beans. And they were brought back from seeds uh, that they found down in the ruins in um, uh, Arizona, I think. Yeah, Arizona, I think. Anyway, so that's spelled A-N-A-S-Z-I. No, A-N-A. Ana Z A S I, Anasazi. They cook 
and you can get you can have a delicious meal in like four hours you know i usually i used to soak my beans overnight these you don't even have to you can just i put mine in a pot and i i pre-cook them a little bit and i let them set for a while and then when i'm ready i add um onion garlic uh, carrots and lots of kale and you know season it and oh that is so delicious oh i love it and it's totally vegetarian or is that vegan i don't know the difference anyway it's meatless <laughs> yeah but i'm like i'm like you guys i can only go so long at, up at the project you know everybody that comes there of course are vegans and vegetarians and so that's all we had then the lakota came and they said where is the buffalo where's the meat we need meat so yeah so um uh, a friend um winona Cashdo, she and i drove up to cheyenne river uh where she had uh, a meat a, a buffalo on order and it was on ice so we went up there and loaded up my car with the buffalo and went back and all the lakotas and and meat eaters were happy for at least two weeks over that Oh, it's so delicious. And and they say it like reignites blood memory when you have a dish like that for like for a Cree person to eat a buffalo. Mm -hmm. It's a delicious thing. It is. <laughs> I, so I really love food if you can't tell. I had uh, moose ribs the other day. Uh, oh my gosh. So delicious. Uh, I know. I made, um, what was it? Elk. I made some, uh, somebody brought me, when I was up at Standing Rock, somebody brought me a big, big um, elk pot, elk, elk roast. And so I chopped it in half and I made a huge um, pot of elk stew. Oh, it was so good too. It was so tender and nice. And then I saved the other one and, and was able to have, have it for another day. So it was nice, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think with veganism a lot of the problems are really with <clears throat> the manufacturing, the mass manufacturing, the way they treat animals. Uh -huh. It's all horrible. Makes horrible quality meat. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we go vegan in our house probably 3 days out of the month. I try to. The kids aren't really too happy about it to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> but they say they can tell the difference, but I can't tell the difference. It tastes just like a burger to me. Yeah. Well, I'm going to try that bean burger. Mm -hmm. I'll let you know how it goes. Yeah. Another question I wanted to ask you was uh, what your thoughts are on line three. Hey, so thanks for asking. Um, so line three is going to be the um, next no dapple uh, in Indian country. And if people aren't paying attention or have heard about it, uh, as of now, now would be a good time for you to, especially if you're Anishinaabek or Indigenous. Uh, it has a lot of similarities to the issues that we had with Standing Rock. Mm -hmm. And another issue with um, Line 3 is that it's got ties to Enbridge. If people don't know about Line 3 right now, they should probably start researching it, uh, especially um, if you're Anishinaabek or Indigenous. Uh, it's going to be the next Standing Rock. Uh, there's a lot of similarities to the uh, issues that we had out at Standing Rock with this pipeline, um, but it's also being financed and it's part of the Enbridge. Uh, Enbridge also runs and operates Line 5 here in Michigan, and I have worked with multiple orgs and communities um, here in Michigan trying to get Line 5 shut down over the last six, seven years probably. Um, and what's happening in Minnesota is the exact same thing that happened in Standing Rock. Um, the pipeline where it's going through now is in violation of that Red Lake Treaty. And this is why the camp was set up. And they're asking for support, uh, both from uh, indigenous communities, but as well as non-indigenous communities. So things, uh, just moral support, maybe a social media tweet with the tag or the hashtag line, no line three. Uh, they're asking for donations for things like uh, hand warmers, jackets and socks, food and supplies. And my organization and a couple others here from Michigan will be caravanning out to uh, Red Lake at the end of March to stand with those people in solidarity 
uh, against lane three. Uh, so thank you for asking. Uh, but yeah, I expect it's going to be the next uh, standing rock. Awesome. Well, thanks for letting us know about all those things that are going to be going on. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for asking. Anyway, Joe, oh my gosh, I'm so happy that you were willing to come back and, and talk with us. It, it really, you have a lot of really wonderful, pertinent things to say for most, almost, well, I would say all Indigenous people, you know, and you touched on a lot of, of topics that uh, we're all paying attention to. So many of us are involved in them. And so thank you for bringing all of that up. Well, Jimmy Glitch for having me. And in uh -huh. my language, we don't have a word for goodbye because we always know we're going to see each other again. Yeah. So Bama P and uh, good luck. And uh, I'll be cheering for you guys. Okay. And the Lakota, we say Toksha Ake because we don't say goodbye either. We know we'll see somebody again and talk to them again. Thank you to our partners, Grinding Stone Collective, Green Feather Foundation, and her Many Voices Foundation. Thank you for making this Thank you. possible. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Bye, Joe.